In the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Beloved in the Lord, let us draw near with a true heart and confess our sins unto God our Father, beseeching him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to grant us forgiveness. Our help is in the name of the Lord. I said I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. Almighty God, merciful Father, I, a poor, miserable sinner, confess unto thee all my sins and iniquities with which I have ever offended thee and justly deserve thy temporal and eternal punishment, but I am heartily sorry for them, sincerely repent of them, and I pray thee of thy boundless mercy, and for the sake of innocent, bitter sufferings and death, 
of thy beloved Son, Jesus Christ, to be gracious and merciful to me, a poor sinful being. Upon this your confession, I by virtue of my office, as a called and ordained servant of the word, announce the grace of God unto all of you, and in this stead, and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. Consider my affliction and my trouble, and forgive all my sins. the God of my salvation, for you I wait all the day long. O God, my soul, and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in thee. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Turn to me, and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. Consider my affliction and my trouble, and forgive all my sins. Lord, have mercy upon us. Christ, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. Glory be to God on high. We glorify thee, we give thanks to thee for thy great glory. O Lord God, heavenly King, God the Jesus Christ, O Lord God, Lamb of God, Son of the Father, that takest away the sin of the world, have mercy upon us. Thou that takest away the sin of the world, receive our prayer. Thou that sittest at the right hand of God the Father, have mercy upon us. For thou art holy, thou 
oh God, the protector of all who trust in you, without whom nothing is strong and nothing is holy, multiply your mercy upon us that with you as our ruler and guide, we may so pass through things temporal that we lose not things eternal. Through Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. The Old Testament lesson for this, the third Sunday after Trinity, is written in the seventh chapter of the prophet Micah, beginning at the 18th verse. Who is a God like you, hardening iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever, but because he delights in steadfast love, he will again have compassion upon us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham, as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, God. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. I call to God, the Lord will save me. He will redeem my soul in safety. The epistle lesson is written in the first chapter of St. Paul's first letter to Timothy, beginning at the 12th verse. I thank him who has given me strength, Jesus Christ our Lord, because he has judged me faithful, appointed me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as is foremost, Christ Jesus might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the King of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Hallelujah! I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. Hallelujah! Hallelujah, hallelujah. 
Holy Gospel is written in the 15th chapter of St. Luke, beginning at the 11th verse. Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said unto his father, Father, give me the share of property that falls to me. And he divided his living between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took his journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in loose living. And when he had spent everything, a great famine arose in that country, and he began to be in want. And so he went and joined himself to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed the swine. And he would gladly have fed on the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. And when he came unto himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough, and I in despair, but I perish with hunger? I will arise, and I will go to my father, and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned. Against heaven and before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. And while he was yet at a distance, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it upon him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and make merry. For this my son was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And they began to make merry. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called to one of the servants and asked him what this meant. And he said, Your brother has come. And your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he asked his father, Lo, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your commands, and yet you have never given a kid to me that I might make merry with my friends. And when this son of yours came, who has devoured your living with harlots, you killed the fatted calf. He said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It is fitting to make merry and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, very God of very God, begotten not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, 
whom for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Ghost of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of the Father and he shall come again with glory to judge both the quick and the dead whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeded from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spake by the prophets, and I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Son of man, Lord, 
of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Um, are, we, are we actually sinners? I mean, do we really, do we really think we're sinners? Really. See, the prodigal son doesn't think he's a sinner. Not really. I know, he says he's a sinner. And we say we're sinners. But the prodigal son doesn't really think he's a sinner. Not really. When he says, I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired day laborers. That's literally the, what, it, what it says in the Greek. And when he actually encounters his dad, his grieving father, his father has not seen him in a long time and loves him and, and grieves because of the break, brokenness of the relationship, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. Now, the kid's words do seem like a confession. They do. And often our words to God seem like a confession. But are they? Are they a confession? It's a good question, right? Or maybe, maybe his words are a confession, but are they the right confession? Are they a theologically accurate confession? Are they an honest confession? Right? Because when we, we talk about our life, don't we like to talk about other people's sins and not our own? I know I do. You see, what's going on here, I think, is that the sin prompting this person's confession is really about the loss of the money. It's about the money, right? That he had a moral responsibility attached to the money, which so far he has refused to acknowledge. The implication of this is an understanding of his sin is crucial. He thinks that if he hadn't lost the money, he would not have sinned. Thus, the prodigal son is motivated by his hunger, and he repents of losing the money. Yet, is this the real sin? Because I don't think anybody, any of us are disputing that he sinned. But is it really just about the money? Because that's really what the prodigal son's talking about. I'm going to go back to my dad, I'm going to be a day laborer. I'm going to start earning some money. He'll hire me to earn some money. And that's kind of what the, what the older brother's mad about. He took your living. He squandered it with hookers and other, you know, loose living, prodigal living, wasteful living. Yet is this the real sin? When we sin against God, is our error primarily a mismanagement of our earthly resources? Is that merely what it is? Or do our earthly errors point to a deeper subsurface, subsurface spiritual issue? Because, see, I believe the real issue has nothing to do with his father's money, dad's money. I think it's really more about the shattered relationships between the father, the brother, which is the family, and the extended family, which is the village. Because everybody in that village would have been kinfolk somehow to the, this, this son, this younger son. And ultimately, it's about a shattered relationship with God, who is our Father who art in heaven. It has nothing to do with the money, but that's what he thinks it is. It's just about the money. Right? 
See, the younger son, what, what was he concerned about? Right? Instead of loving the Lord his God with all his heart, mind, and soul, and his neighbor as himself, all really he wanted was to get the portion of goods that fell to him. Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. Now, to our, our ears, our American, North American, you know, Western, European-type cultural ears, when we hear that, we think, oh, well, he just wanted some resources. You know, he's ready to start his life. He wanted to get some capital, starting capital from his dad, and he just didn't want to wait till the, for the inheritance. He wanted to get it going now. But is that what Jesus' initial audience heard? Like, if you told this story today in, let's say, the kingdom of Jordan, or present-day Israel, or the Sudan, would those people hear the same thing as you and I hear? You see, what the younger son is actually asking for is a formal and legal division of goods. He, he wants the estate divided now. And again, that doesn't sound too bad. I mean, you know, we'll take care of dad. And much of this wealth would have been in the form of real estate, land, improvements on build, you know, buildings, improvements. Very little of it would have been actual specie, would have been actual like, things you can use like, for money. And then we read how, the, in 15, verse 15, how the younger son gathers together and all this together, and then he goes to a far country, right? And there he wasted his possessions in prodigal or wasteful living. We don't really know what he did wrong. I know the older brother has a theory about it, the, you know, the prostitutes and things, but we really don't know that's what he did. We just know that, that whatever he did wasn't a good thing. The, the older brother's kind of putting the worst construction on it later on in the, in the, in the, in the lesson. But, but the sense here is that the younger son converted everything into cash so that it's an easily transportable form. And that means he would have to sell off the lands. He would have to sell off the buildings. He would have to convert everything that would have been there, all the improvements, all the, all the farming implements, all that stuff had to, had to go into money. He had to sell all of it. And that's a huge thing for the Middle East and for most of the world. But for, to Hebrew people and Arabic people, this is massive. This is something that y'all, we, we don't even conceive of because we Americans are really transient. We buy a house, we sell a house. We buy a land, we sell land. We go, you know, we're always moving around. You know, we, we don't really get tied to the land that much. It's not that important to us, for most of us. But not to the Hebrew, not to the Arab, not to the Middle Easterner. You know, <laughs> no, no, no. To the Arab or the Hebrew person, this is massive, right? You know, that, that, because the, the way the Middle Easterners look at the land, they, they see the land as something that belongs not to me or you, the people that happen to be on the land at the moment. It belongs to all of us. We hold it in trust. It's for me right now. It's for my kids after me. It's for their children and grandchildren. It, it's also owned by those who came before me. And it's my patrimony, literally, from God. It, it is somehow a connection between me and God. So to sell that off is to break that connection with the future, it's to sever that connection with the past, and it's also to show, to shake your fist in defiance against the God who chose to give you that patrimony. That's the reason why Naboth wouldn't sell his vineyard to Ahab. Even though he offered him, like, way above market for his vineyard. And they had to later, you know, Jezebel had to have him murdered. 
It's the reason why to the Hebrew, to be exiled from the Holy Land is like the worst of all punishments. It's worse than death. Because, because the land connects Yisrael to Yisrael's God, individually and collectively. That's the reason why the Hebrew people, even to this very day, they'll say when they celebrate Passover, next year in Jerusalem... Right, And so to sell his patrimony, given to him directly from God, would have been not just a slap in the face of his father, it was the gravest of insults to his family, to his village, and to his God. And then to go to a far country is egregious. It is to literally sever all connections with everything that matters. Secondly, I think we need to understand or consider the personal insult leveled by the prodigal son against his own dad. For when the son says, Father, give me the portion that falls to me. That sounds, I mean, it doesn't sound terrible. I mean, it just sounds like maybe inappropriate, but not, not like, you know, relationship ending. But again, to somebody that is from the Middle East, you know, from North Africa or, or what we call, you know, the Middle East itself or even India or even, you know, north parts of Africa, even lots of Africa, actually. Um, this is this, the equivalent of going up to your father and saying, Dad, drop dead. That's what it is. Dad, just drop dead. There is almost, I don't, I don't know if there's any worse insult. Than that. The Reverend Dr. Kenneth Bailey, an LCMS pastor and professor who was for more than 25 years a professor at the American University in Beirut, and he said that for over 15 years, and I'm quoting, he says, and I quote, for over 15 years I have asked people of all walks of life from Morocco to India, from Turkey down to Sudan. Okay? The implications of the son's request for his inheritance while the father is still living. The answer I always receive is the same, emphatically the same. The conversation runs as follows Has anyone in your village ever made such a request? Never! Exclamation point, their emphasis. Could anyone ever make such a request? Impossible! If anyone ever did, what would happen? His father would beat him, of course. Why? This request means that he wants his father to die. Or, as, as Levinson writes in his, in his book, The Local Setting, there is no law or custom among the Jews or the Arabs which entitles the son to a share of his father's wealth while the father is still alive. See, when we read these parables in Luke, we think that they're the stories. We don't, we don't really fully, we're not fully, I don't think we're able to really fully um, savor how bitter and how striking and how radical they are. Today's true sin is really against the fourth commandment and ultimately the first commandment. 
It's a failure to honor their father. The prodigal sons, both elder and younger, are failing to fear and love God so they do not despise or anger their parents, really their father. They do not honor and serve them and obey them and hold them in love and esteem. For the earthly father in today's gospel lesson mirrors our heavenly father's response to our own sins against him. Instead, instead of justified wrath, the father demonstrates great mercy and forgiveness. For the prodigal wishes his father's wealth without his father's, without his father's presence. And that's, what, and that's why he journeyed to a far country to escape it place of strange gods, as I said, and strange customs. He was abandoning his father, his family, and his God. And the older brother, too, was a prodigal son because his job was to try to reconcile the, father, the younger brother to his father and vice versa. But he does nothing. He simply silently receives the wealth as well because the wealth would have been given to him as well. And is this not exactly what we do, too? when we desire God's material blessings, but really do not desire Him, right? I mean, how many times do we avoid God's presence in His Word and His sacraments? Do we despise preaching in His Word, but we never, but we never despise the grocery store or our amusements? Now, we always make sure those happen, don't we? I know I do. And we tell ourselves, you know, we're only violating the fourth commandment a little bit by not going to church or by ignoring, you know, the things of God, even though God's presence is here in a way that it's not anywhere else because His presence here through God's Word and His holy sacraments is here for your salvation. That's the reason why God makes the third commandment remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. It's not for God's benefit. It's for our benefit, right? So that we might taste and see God's goodness and know the forgiveness of sins. But because we do not fear and love God, we despise preaching His word, don't we? And we fail to hear it, hold it sacred and gladly hear and learn it. And yet, like the, the father of the prodigal son, God still awaits us here at this place. And wherever God's word is preached in purity and his sacraments are celebrated according to the gospel, God waits for us. He looks for us, even though theologically and psychologically and emotionally, we're often on our way to a far country, aren't we? To squander what God has given us in prodigal living. We are. And what happens when we do that? Well, what happens is the same thing the prodigal son. We end up eating the filth or desiring to eat the filth that is fed to the pigs. Yet as today's gospel lesson makes it very clear, the reason why the prodigal's father saw him while he was still a great way off, he saw him while he was still a great way off, is that the father was looking for his son. And now why was he doing that? He was doing that for several reasons. One, he already forgave the son. He loved his son. But the final reason was he wanted to protect his son. Because again, if this were a Middle Eastern village in which... It, the story was told, the cousins and the brothers and the, the, the members of the household would take vengeance on the son, just as God's law 
will take vengeance on us. And yet, what does the father do? He runs to his son. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ does for us. He runs to us through his word as it's preached and covers us in the robe of righteousness that we receive with God's word connected to water and holy baptism so that the robe of God's righteousness is put upon us so that the God's law will see that like, like God's law saw the, the blood of the, of the Passover lamb and passed over the house. So God's vengeance passes over us. And the ring is a put upon our finger, right? The ring of God's righteousness, the ring that would be the signet of God's name. And the sandals are put upon our feet. We are shod by the gospel of truth. And then finally, the fatted calf is killed. And we know who that fatted calf is. That's Jesus Christ himself, who was killed for our transgressions upon the cross. And then we are brought into the feast by our Father who art in heaven. And that feast is, is the feast of the Lord's Supper, the holy sacrament of the altar, where we taste and see how God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Yes. Yes, we're brought into the feast. And why are we brought into the feast that is the Lord's Supper? to taste and see and to know the forgiveness of sins. Why? Because as the father said to the older brother, for this my son was dead and is alive again, was lost and is now found. In the name of Jesus, amen.
these two out. When, when you come out, bring those. Where's, where's the empties? Bring the empties. I just want to welcome everybody today um, to our service, and uh, it's a blessing to see everyone here, uh, and thank you the choir and uh, all the musicians. Uh, I know y'all put a lot of time in. I want to thank you also to our fellowship in life and all those who have prepared for the meal for later, both from those from Concordia, also in Redeemer. Um, it's always, always a blessing for, for me to serve all, all, everyone from both parishes, and um, I have to keep it together or I'll start crying. So I really appreciate it. Um, uh, we have several prayer requests this morning. And uh, Bonnie Smith, of course, I mentioned to some of you, uh, is in Thomas Hospital of AFib. Also, Stephen Ulrich asked that we pray for Jamie Roberts and family. Um, his sister, Stacy, died earlier this week. 